Greetings to the brightest audience in the country, and welcome to Theology Thursday. I'm Nicole McBurney. Every weekday, we bring you the news of the day, the culture, and science from a Christian worldview. But today, join me and Pastor Bob Enyart as we explore the source of our Christian worldview, the Bible. So if you miss, if you're off by one degree, you'll miss by billions of miles. But what if you're headed to the furthest star, to the furthest point in the universe, and you're just a little bit off? <laughs> you might miss your destination by by a quadrillion miles. And if your objective lies not across the universe, but across infinity, beyond all current existing time and space, then you better be on the mark. Thus, we have the necessary reason for God's rigidness. Don't turn aside to the right nor to the left or you'll miss it. It's God's way or an eternity outside of heaven because you'll miss it. There's just no other option. Verse 33. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. Chapter 6. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, God of your fathers, has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, and liberals are against milk, right? And say it's from the devil. But uh, God promised Israel a land flowing with milk and honey, where they could eat all the meat they want to eat. So, so much for pita. All right. Now, the beautiful Jewish prayer of the next few verses, we call the Shema. Well, they call it the Shema, which is the first word. Hear, hear, O Israel. The word in Hebrew is Shema. In the Hebrew manuscript, the last letter of this word is majuscular, which means it's larger than the other letters. And not only that, the last letter of the last word, their word for one, that's also larger. And that's to emphasize the primacy of this testimony. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's pretty neat. The Hebrew says Jehovah our Elohim is one Jehovah. Now, God is one. That's what distinguishes Judaism and Christianity from all the other false religions of the world. We are monotheists. We believe in one God. Now, of course, Islam also believes in one God. And Islam, in the Quran, it frequently references Abraham and Moses and... Well, Moses, I forget all of a sudden. I got to take that back. I don't recall. But it frequently 
references early Genesis history, Abraham, and then into the New Testament, Jesus and Mary. And so Islam is a perversion of biblical faith. Well, one God, there is one God, of course, that makes tremendous sense. If there's a a creator, if there's a creation, there has to be a creator. And there can't be three or four different creators because then that would just be uh, avoiding the, the real question, who created them? And you get back to the original creator and you say, that's God. There's only one God. There has to be one God. Well, Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And Elohim is plural. The word for God in Hebrew is El. Elohim means the gods. Just like cherub is an angel, and cherubim are multiple, and seraph and seraphim, and so on. It's a common way to make a plural in Hebrew. So Elohim means the gods. And the Greeks would speak about the gods and they hoped the gods would not be angry with them. Well, Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, the gods, he created the heavens and the earth. And you scratch your head and you say, well, why is there a plural subject in the singular verb? In the beginning, the gods, he created That doesn't make sense. If you were in third grade in homeschooling and you wrote a sentence like that, you'd get, you'd get it wrong. You'd get a zero because it's incorrect. And Moses gave us the beginning of the first greatest book in the history of the world. And he was educated in Egypt in Pharaoh's household. He was obviously a brilliant man to write the Pentateuch. How do you start out with that kind of a blunder in the first verse? It wasn't a blunder. It was the beginning of the entire Bible. And the Bible reveals one God existing in three persons. So our one God is of a plurality. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So the Hebrew scriptures make use of the term Elohim to speak of the one God. As we read here, Jehovah, our Elohim, is one Jehovah. Our the gods is one God. That's pretty neat. Thus, we get to the command in the next verse that Jesus referred to as the most important. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, are we human beings able to love God? As Christians, are we able to love God? Of course we are. God created us to love Him. But there's a teaching going around the Christian church. Who's the author, the psychologist author? Larry Crabb. I think it comes from him. I'm sure it does. That we are incapable of loving God. We cannot love God. We can't love our wives, our neighbors, Only God could love them through us. And so then we are just portals. We're zero-sum portals. And God could love himself through us, but we can't add nothing to that. Well, that's absurd. God created us not so he'd have a mirror to bounce his love off of, but so that we could love him and love one another. And 
God wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, and strength. And Jesus added, and he could add, you know, because after all, he is God. Jesus added, and love him with all your mind. In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so the law, the Mosaic law, can be divided into those two tiers, laws toward God and laws toward men. And then a third tier of the law is symbolic law like circumcision and the Sabbath and the dietary law. Verse 6, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So you can have a wristband or a headband and hang jewelry on it. And inside the jewelry are tiny little scrolls that will have Hebrew scripture written on them. You could buy them in gift shops in Israel or I'm sure in New York or elsewhere or on the Internet. And we call them phylacteries from the Greek for these frontlets. Verse 9, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. Now through Moses, God discussed the Jews taking oaths. But through Jesus, God said, gave an even higher standard, don't take oaths, just be truthful all the time. Let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Always tell the truth and you have no need of taking an oath. Thus, we have long opposed the American and British custom, the common law custom of swearing in witnesses on the witness stand so that they will not break the ninth commandment. Do not commit perjury. When you swear in a witness, now you have to tell the truth because you swore in. Well, that encourages perjury because the implication is, well, we all lie all the time. So now in a certain box, when it's most critical, now you can't lie. Well, that doesn't work. It's not possible that that little bit of legalism, taking that oath, can undo the weight of that implication that we're all liars. And when you swear in, you guarantee you're going to get more lies on the witness stand. Verse 14. You shall not go after other gods. 
the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. And remember, Massa, that's where the Jews were complaining. They're in the wilderness. They just got into the wilderness and they don't have any water. And they're saying, ah, we were brought here in the wilderness so this desert would kill us. That's why you brought us here. And God stood on a rock before Moses and had Moses strike the rock, which was a symbol of Jesus Christ being smitten. And then from the rock that is from Christ, symbolically, the living water poured forth. Verse 17. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers, to cast out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? So, They're saying, well, your descendants will wonder about some of these rules. Hey, Dad, why do we keep these rules? Now, that obviously is not referring to don't murder and don't steal because much of the world intuitively has laws against that on their books. But these will be kids who will say, hey, Dad, why do we keep the Sabbath and why do we circumcise and why do we have this dietary law and wear these weird things on our heads? Why do we do that? So, son, let me tell you, verse 21, then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh and all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to give our fathers. And notice why God gave these rigid laws. Verse 24. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. The laws were given for our good to give us life, eternal life. Now notice the difference between our covenant of grace and Israel's covenant of law. Under grace, you're justified. That is, you're made righteous apart from the law. But under the Mosaic covenant of law, verse 25, then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So it will be righteousness for us If we keep these laws, then we'll be righteous. The Apostle Paul says, under the covenant of grace, Paul says, if you do no work, if you don't do good works, then you're justified, then you're righteous. Romans 10, Paul says, there's two ways to be righteous. One is by the law, the other is by faith. Moses' method, by the law, you have to do the works of the law to be righteous. And by faith, 
You have to believe in Jesus Christ. That's it. Chapter 7. And we'll get through this pretty quickly. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. For they have lost sight of the eternal prize. They don't even care to aim for it. And if you let them live, they will bring your children down into hell with them. Tartlene, you sound like you're having such a hard time. No, that's okay. I hope you, I hope you survive the study. On the other hand, if you, if you utterly destroy them, then your children will have a better chance of growing into adults in righteousness. And their children, if you kill them, their children who are under the age of accountability, they'll end up before Almighty God. And all the children who died in the flood and at the hands of Moses and Joshua, those children are now they then were standing before God. And I don't believe you lose your free will at any time. And so those kids, they're not guilty. They're under the age of accountability. They're standing before God. They could decide to stay or leave. Just like we can. They make their choice then as they grow up in heaven. Verse 3. Nor shall you make marriages with them, these heathens, You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. And that's exactly what did happen. For an extreme example, Solomon took 1,000 women, many of them from the pagan nations around him, and he worshipped their gods, of Molech and Baal and Ashtoreth, and he built altars to those false gods on the hills around Jerusalem. On on the Mount of Olives, he built an altar to Molech, where most likely the Jews took their sons and their daughters and burned them alive on Molech's altar to sacrifice their own children. Disgusting wickedness like abortion, like Planned Parenthood. Verse 5, But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. Remember the Afghanistan Taliban? They destroyed that Buddha, the 2,000-year-old Buddha carved into the side of the mountain. Now, if they had been Jews, those Taliban not Muslims, and if they had governed 3,000 years ago, not today, then they would have had divine authority to do that. As it stands, they were only within their right if that Buddha was on their property. If, if they owned it, then they could destroy it. And they don't have to worry about the sensitivities of Hindus because they worship stone anyway. 
And if it was on my property, I would destroy it. I don't care how old it is. Unless maybe I could sell it and get more money for it. I don't know. I'd have to figure that out. Verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So the Exodus became the defining moment in the history of Israel. They forevermore became the people of the Exodus, the ones delivered by the deliverer. And Moses became a symbol, a type of Christ, so that from Israel would come the one to deliver all those who believe. Jesus Christ. Verse 9. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. And He repays those who hate Him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with Him who hates God. He will repay Him to His face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which I command you today to observe them. Then it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain and your new wine, and your oil, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flock, in the land of which he swore to your fathers to give to you. By the way, also in that Timothy study, we cover the issue of wine and alcohol in the Bible pretty thoroughly. Verse 14. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. That is, if you obey me. If you don't, then these blessings, you will not see them. Verse 15. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but will lay them on all those who hate you. Now, this would occur by natural law, by cause and effect, Countries today that prohibit homosexuality do not have an AIDS epidemic. But in addition to that, God was in a supernatural role with Israel and he was promising them that he would heal them through their prophets and their priests if only they would obey him. Verse 16, And you shall destroy all the peoples whom the Lord your God delivers over to you. Your eye shall have no pity on them, nor shall you serve their gods, for that will be a snare to you. If you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well that the Lord your God, 
but you shall remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials which your eyes saw, the signs and the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until those who are left, who hide themselves from you, are destroyed. Now, we could use a few hornets in Afghanistan right now. People hiding from us. And if Israel had obeyed God and they had a problem like we do with enemies on foreign soil, God said, I'll seek them out. You you kill all the ones you could find and I'll find the ones who are hiding in the caves. But we don't have that kind of relationship with God. Even if he had offered it to us, we're so wicked, he would not be able to bless us in that way. Verse 21, You shall not be terrified of them, for the Lord your God, the great and awesome God, is among you. And the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. So the animal rights folks don't like this. But God is saying, don't let the wild animals get too populous. Minimize their habitat. But not in America. We introduce wolves, right? We bring wolves back in and we put bears where people live and we get mad at people if they chase away the bears from their own backyards where kids are playing. It's ridiculous. Verse 23. But the Lord your God will deliver... I I remember we lived up in... in not Conifer. Kittredge. And which is up in the foothills by Evergreen for three years. Cheryl and I and the kids lived up there. And we get a letter from the Division of Wildlife that says, well, the bears have been encroaching, so make sure you put your trash in bags and all that. So I called up the Division of Wildlife. It said, call with any questions. And I called on the air. And I said, I want to know what kind of poison I could put in my food and my trash so it'll kill the bears. Because if there are bears near my kids, I want the bears dead. Oh, you, what, and, and I want to know what kind of, what kind of ammunition do I need to kill a bear? Because I don't know if my nine millimeter will do it. Well, they didn't like those questions, but they were from the heart. So verse 23, but the Lord your God will deliver them over to you and will inflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed. And he will deliver their kings into your hand and you will destroy their name from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. You shall burn the carved images of their gods with fire. You shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. So if you have an idol and it's covered with gold or silver, God says, destroy it and don't even keep the gold or silver. I I used to go to Derby Bible Church before they planted our church, Denver Bible Church, and it was a pretty poor church for most of the years I went there. And all of a sudden, every Sunday morning, there was a crisp new $100 bill in the collection plate. Every Sunday morning. And I was like, wow, that, that, that was really cool. 
And we found out it was a drug dealer. <laughs> the drug dealer started coming to church. He put in a hundred every, every Sunday morning. Well, it wasn't a collection plate in the box in the back of the room. And so, you know, the pastor had to talk to the drug dealer and say, uh, you know, we don't want the drug money. So get saved and stop deal, dealing drugs or uh, don't come anymore and keep your money. Verse 26, Nor shall you bring an abomination into your house, an idol, that is. Don't bring an idol into your house, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. God will destroy the idols and the idolaters. You shall utterly detest it and utterly abhor it, for it is an accursed thing. And on that note, we'll close. May God bless you all.